Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is a transformative time for Black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Hi, I'm Dr. Andreas Michaelitis, Chief Psychologist at Noom. But what's Noom and why does Noom need a Chief Psychologist? Noom is a weight loss program that works with results that last because we know that changing the way you eat starts with your mind. With Noom's proven psychology-backed tools, one-on-one coaching, and flexible plans that emphasize progress over perfection, you'll have the tools you need to change your relationship with food. So sign up at Noom.com now and lose the weight for good. That's N-O-O-M.com. Look for your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Honorary Forest Ranger Betty White here, lending a hand to my dear friend Smokey Bear. Because for years, he's only said... Only you can prevent wildfires. But there's a lot more to say. Like, if you park your car on tall, dry grass, the hot exhaust pipe can start a wildfire. So keep the animals safe, especially the cute shirtless one. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I tell people every week it's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. And people always talk about their gifts and their passions. If you have a gift, lead with your gift. And if you don't, if you're gonna do that, then don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from 
planning or living your dreams. People always talk about the interviews I have on the show. It's feel like I'm always reminding people what I'm trying to do with money-making conversations. Yes, I have celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and what I like to call industry decision-makers on money-making conversation. My goal is to get them to tell you about their secrets to their success, their nuggets. Drop some gems on you. You hear these gems, you use them. But it's going to be tied to work. Nothing is luck. Nothing is being at the right place at the right time. It's all tied to proper planning, proper effort, and realizing that, hey, you can't be selfish in pursuing your own dream. You have to put forth effort. My next guest is Marcus Davis. Been knowing him a long time, straight out of Houston, Texas. He is the host of Fish, Grits, and Politics. He is an entrepreneur, restaurant owner, and motivational speaker. Like I said earlier, he's located in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Marcus is the spirit and entrepreneurial mastermind behind the Breakfast Club, which is nationally recognized. It first came to fame on Oprah way back in. I had the blessing of inviting him on the Steve Harvey talk show. Blew him up even more. If you go there right now, there's a line out the door. The people are nice. The food is great. The reggae hut, the alley cat bar and loud, and the culture. He's best known for his charismatic personality, authentic customer appreciation, and his tireless commitment to the community. That's what he is. Marcus restaurants are rooted in principles of faith, family, community with a K, and empowerment. They treat every customer like family and believe that family is the cornerstone of any community. So as they place an emphasis on supporting activities and causes that enrich and strengthen family. He has created one of the most phenomenal restaurant success stories in the country. If you landed in an intercontinental airport, it's there. His footprint is there. When I saw that man, I damn near cried, brother. I'm so <laughs> proud of this brother, man. The breakfast, the breakfast club at, you know. Yeah. What's that? That, that terminal is my Delta terminal. That's when I fly to the Delta terminal over there. Uh, please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Marcus Davis. How you doing, Marcus? Man, after after listening to you and that 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 interview, <laughs> uh, man, I'm feeling great. You just made me feel real, real well, good. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. Every time, because I fly on Delta, I'm based in Atlanta, so I always fly yeah. on Delta. And when I when I first landed, man, and I was telling my wife, I said, I think my boy. I think they putting some up at the uh, Intercontinental Airport. And she said, "What? I think I think he's at Intercontinental Airport now." So, <laughs> your restaurant, black owned, right, being at right. uh, one of the busiest airports in the country. Right. So walk us through wow. the steps of how that came about, Marcus, in Houston, Texas, and knowing the journey of the Breakfast Club. Well, you know, it, it's funny you say that because uh, um, I I've never been. Uh, gung-ho about the airport. I know a lot of people in business, a lot of people in restaurant, uh, they are airport, airport, airport. And I'm a street side guy. And, and I was like, man, I, give me a good location on the street side and, I, and I'll be good. And, you know, years ago, we started getting approached with questions about uh, being in the airport, but we never pursued it. And then I got to working on the, the Convention and Visitors Bureau board. I was on the board here in Houston uh, to talk about, you know, visitors, who comes right. here, how do we get more here, how do we elevate the uh, the brand of the city, uh, the awareness of what Houston is about, how much better than Atlanta it really is, and all that good stuff. So <laughs> you see how, sli- <laughs> see how I slid that in there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I'm ignoring you. I'm ignoring you. <laughs> but And, and, and while, while doing that, you know, I saw that there was a need uh, to I, I believe in uh, 
my definition of entrepreneurship, let's just start that off, is filling a void in the marketplace that the marketplace is calling for consciously or subconsciously. Entrepreneurship, filling a void in the marketplace that the marketplace is calling for consciously or subconsciously. And one of the things we discovered was that people who came to Houston didn't really get the taste of Houston because of the number of flights that came into the airport uh, with people just transferring uh, to another plane, to another city, and never knowing the great food that we, the great culinary city that, 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 that we are. So there was this effort to, one, bring about the, the notoriety, but two, uh, the need to put concepts in, in uh, into the space. So I felt compelled uh, being an ambassador of my city, being uh, you know, one to put on for my city and rep for my city. Right. I, I felt compelled to to make it a point to be a part uh, of that. I can't talk about it if I'm not going to be about it. But to to, uh, to your other point, uh, I, I I have found how, how great it is to be a black owned restaurant in the airport simply because it's in a space that African-Americans typically say we're not in. Yes. And so to have African-American representation in that space uh, was 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 quite gratifying and and part of the goal, part of the motive. Well, you know, it's really, uh, and I say this, and I'm gonna stay on this for a minute. Being that, um, you know, you do have a, I'm in Atlanta, so you know, this is a city that's recognized for Black forward movement. You know, right. uh, you know, there are a number of Black entrepreneurs who do have restaurants at Hartsfield Airport, which is right. classified as the biggest air, busiest airport in the world. And right. so I've had people, friends of mine, sending photos, uh, like you, you're turning your restaurant over at the Intercom app into a, a tour spot out of right. pride and say, you know, taking pictures of the food, say they ate here. Talk about just slow it down, man, because we know where the original spot is. OK. Right. And then be at the airport. You know, I know you I know you. You've been in the public side, I've been doing the morning show, doing public awareness and uh, putting the, basically being a voice of the people on the radio in Houston, Texas, Marcus. Yes, sir. But to be part of something that you know is different. And that was being at the airport. Really talk about how people the pride that people really took it to the next level with you. They also saw it as a possibility it can be them, too. Right, right. And, and you know, we, we're getting ready to celebrate uh, our 20th year in business this fall. And, and I, I look forward to you having me back on to talk about that in, in the fall. Absolutely. We, we, we're getting ready to celebrate our 20th year in business. And the, the, the motto that I'm rolling with is 20 years of uh, inspiration. We've been on the corner of Travis and Alabama inspiring our community for uh, over 20 years, inspiring entrepreneurship for 20, 20 years. So to answer your question about what does that feel like, it feels the same way as it does when we unlock the doors at 3711 Travis. To see the number of people that come through the door that are amazed, that are fascinated, that are impressed, that are proud of uh, this establishment, uh, when they look and they whisper and they lean over and say, is this black on? And you tell them, yes, it is. <laughs> or I'll pull one of these, one of these numbers. Yes, uh-huh. and, 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 and they are excited because they had a great experience. Right. Uh, the professionalism, uh, the quality of product, quality of service, quality of people that serve them uh, was, was fascinating to them. So um, we, wear, we wear that with pride. Similarly, when we stepped into a new space that we knew was a, uh, a travel space, a space uh, that brought people from all over the world, we knew that we were stepping it up to another level. So uh, it gave us an opportunity to want to be on a bigger platform uh, for guests, but more importantly, 
uh, on a bigger platform for entrepreneurs to see what is possible, what we're capable of doing. Hey, Marcus, but, uh, I, you know, talking but I'm, again, I'm a, I'm a street side guy. Man. <laughs> I know, but you know, but, but I, you're a smart I'm, guy. I'm, because, I'm a street side guy. But you're a smart guy because of the fact that when people give you a shot, an opportunity, you deliver. And when I say that, we're going to go back to Oprah. You know, giving an opportunity to feature your your brand. And this was right. Oprah when she was on every day, five days a week, when everybody was watching her. And, and then, because even today, Man, you have people lining up to come into your restaurant. That's 20 years, man. I'm talking about, if yeah. you, I, I kid you not, ladies and gentlemen, you go, you try to just think you're just going to walk into his restaurant, that's not <laughs> going to happen. Well, if, if you tell him, if you tell him that, uh, put it on Rashawn's tab, then, you know. We, <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> Don't do it like that, Marcus. Are you talking about you're going to be back on my show in the fall? No, hey, you celebrate know, 20 you know years. Right? I'm with Rashad. <laughs> you know, because I, 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 I've eaten there several times. And like I said, I've, I've done my duty. I, I, I You know, I, you're going to do it two ways, team. You're going to get there when the restaurant immediately opens up. Right. Then you can slide on in or slide on in. But you let an hour or two hours slide in, you're going to be in line at the breakfast club. And you yeah, we, 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 we do. We, man, I am grateful that people support us in an outrageous fashion. You yes. know, people come in and they say, hey, man, I'm proud of y'all. And I tell them, no, I'm proud of y'all. Y'all yes. are the ones that showed up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I share with my team. Every morning when you show up at, at, at 7 a.m., every morning when we unlock the door, uh, the first guest that walks through the door gets a round of applause from our staff, mm-hmm. right, from our team. Mm-hmm. And the reason is uh, I try and share with my team that, one, we can never take for granted that when we unlock that door, somebody's going to walk in. Mm-hmm. We have to be grateful for every single person that walks into that door. Mm-hmm. We have to show them the mm-hmm. gratitude that they deserve for choosing us uh, as their destination for dining mm-hmm. over the other 999 restaurants that are in the city of Houston. So um, I, we, 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 we are extremely grateful of the number of people that come from within the city, uh, within the state, uh, from throughout the country and beyond uh, the Atlantic and the Pacific uh, to visit 3711 Traps. I'm going to brag a little bit. Um, I, I, I tell folks, we we, we did this pre-IG. Oh, yeah, right, <laughs> you Instagram, know, you know, right. You know, you know, you know, you know how, you, how you date things by BC and AD? Right, 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 right. I, right. I, I, I tell, I tell, I tell, I tell these young cats that's doing well and congratulations to them, to mm-hmm. all the ones that are, yes. you know, having success today. I said, but holler at your boy when you've been doing it for two decades. Yes, sir. And 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 check this out. We we created that buzz with no Instagram, absolutely, with no Facebook. That, that's why that's, no that's why I want to right. slow it down with you because you know yeah. Marcus and I, you know, because first he's naturally funny. He's as you can hear in this interview, he's a, he's a natural <laughs> entertainer. And amidst all that, sometimes you can go past the hard work, the commitment, and the planning, and the professionalism. Because I'm telling you, you go into any of his restaurants. It is a professionalism. And I'm going to tell you something, what happens with black businesses, because sometimes people kind of like knock us, you know, you know, the service, the food quality and all that stuff. And who do you compare it to? Now, if you know anything about Houston, Texas, it is the culinary game in Houston, Texas is a beast. I mean, it, 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 it is. It is. I mean, it's top notch. We, we we have I think at one point we were we were the number one restaurant per square uh for the, per capita in, in, in the nation. But we by far have, uh, uh, we rank in the top in the number of restaurants, the number of different cuisines yes. uh, yeah. that, that we have because of the diversity of the city. And yes, flavor, for sure. We, I, I, and, and look, look, I know, I know you love the A, 
But I tell you, man, the A can't touch the H <laughs> when it comes to food. Man, they I, hey, don't get they me can't. on the phone to call all the fellas. Don't get me on the phone to call around to all the cats in the A's. We just need to go ahead and put it down. We just need to put it down. Hey, Mark, the Mark, well, just a, what you're not going to do. In, 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 in restaurants. You're not, I'm not going to ever. I know. I was born and raised in Houston. The food in Houston, man, is a beast, dude. I mean, the seafood, the Mexican, uh, the Tex-Mex food, the, the the barbecue cook barbecue. You can just shut it down. The breakfast spots. And so that leads me to the, my question is, you had this hit the breakfast club, and you needed to expand because you saw all of this diversity. You saw right. all of this opportunity and, and, and parlaying your reputation as a, of having a hit restaurant. Was that the need to expand into the reggae hut, the alley cat bar and lounge and the culture? So the, the, that need goes back to the original. And that's why I gave the definition at the beginning, because I'm always come back to it, filling the void in the marketplace that the marketplace is calling for consciously or subconsciously. And so the Breakfast Club was, was a response to Midtown not having a breakfast spot, uh, this new area of, of Houston that was Third Ward slash Fourth Ward that was created and turned into Midtown, uh, not having the, uh, a breakfast eatery. The city of Houston uh, having a, a, a space open for a Southern big breakfast concept. And quite naturally, uh, quite honestly, rather, I, you know, I wanted a, you know, our goal from the get-go was to be synonymous with the city of Houston. I wanted people saying, when I go to Houston, I'm going to the breakfast club. I wanted that to move into, I am going to Houston because I want to go to the breakfast club. And now today, 20 years later, I tell folks, if you have been to Houston and have not been to the Breakfast Club, then you, my friend, have never been to Houston. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Talk, talk, talk the game because the game is you, my friend. Now, now let's but, talk about but, but, but I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I, I, answer, I answer your question. Uh, those those other concepts, the yes, reggae sir. hut, uh, Alicat Boring Lounge and culture were all birthed out of a need, listening to the marketplace yes. and what it was asking for, looking at the marketplace and seeing what's 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 not there and being the go-between which is the original definition of entrepreneur the undertaker the person who would take on uh this this challenge or this opportunity that that that's in front of us and so the reggae hut was an existing business the reggae had started five years before tbk the reggae had started and had its success when i was still a senior uh at, at texas yeah, absolutely and mm-hmm. then i and then i went off and came back and opened the breakfast club and it was still going and and as an institution in our community, our community wanted it to, to, to be open, to be whole. Uh, so when it started to have its, its, its troubles, uh, I put into practice the fourth principle of Kwanzaa, which is cooperative economics. I took the money that the people were putting in the cash register uh, at 3711 Travis and went and saved, salvaged a concept in Third Ward that our community needed to have uh, sustained. And I say needed, and I close on this, I say needed because... In the African-American community, we are hurt every time one of our businesses closed. True. Right? It, 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 it tears at the moral and the morale fabric of, of our community. We may not express it. We may express it in the wrong way. Sometimes we may say stuff like, see, there, I told you it was going to close. Right. And we're saying that out of, out of hurt, out of pain. Right. It is painful when our, when our businesses and our community close. So we, uh, 15 years ago, acquired the Reggae Hut to keep an institution in our community open, to keep a, an, an additional place 
for us to circulate our dollar. But, and, and to serve j- jerk chicken, of course. Absolutely, brother. <laughs> uh, jerk pork on my end. I know a lot of people. Oh, jerk oh, pork. oh hey, Come hey, on. have it. I mean, I got it for you. There I got you, it. You I know what I'm talking about? Festivals. I'm going to tell, tell Papa Henry. There Just you let go. Me know when you want. There you go. But, you, but I'm, I'm going to ask you this question, Marcus. One of them say, okay, look, you got a popular. The Breakfast Club is popular. Why don't we see another Breakfast Club? You know, you know, they do it with Bojangles. They do it with, you know, Chick-fil-A. Why don't we have, like, I know you're at the airport, but why don't we have, yeah. like, four or five Breakfast Clubs with a K running around, this, running around the city of Houston and then expanding in Texas? Man, you, you, you bring up a, an absolute perfect point. I've got a meeting today with a brother who is, who is about to uh, do something super spectacular, uh, there's a void in the marketplace, right? We, as African-Americans in the restaurant industry, the void that we have is there's not an African-American concept that stretches across a region. Yes. There's not an African-American uh, concept that stretches across the nation. We don't have a national concept. We have, don't get me wrong, we have successful restaurant tours, brothers that can buy 100 uh, uh, Taco Bells or, or what have you. Yes. But we have no concepts where we're selling 100 franchises. And that's where African-Americans have to graduate to if we're going to do this business thing seriously, right? If we're going to be serious about uh, uh, generational wealth, if we're going to be serious about uh, making rebuilding Black Wall Street, running it back, if we're going to be serious about building Wakanda, then we got to start with our dollar. And the only way we can get those, those, those things that you described, one to five, five to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 100 across the country, is if we're deliberate in our dollar. And that's where African-Americans have to step in and step up to the plate. And yes, we do need to make sure that the, the concepts that, that are presented are, are, are desirable, yes. uh, that they are palatable, that people love them, that they adore them, that they embrace them. But the one thing I do ask for the, from the marketplace, from the African-American marketplace, is fairness. Right. And when I say fairness, when we are judging businesses from restaurants on down, Keep that same energy because we will walk into a, a nail salon and let them talk dirt to us. Right. And we take it. Right. We will walk into a beauty salon and let them follow us along the uh, around the thing. And, and we still buy from them. Right. We will walk into a restaurant that has the highest level of discrimination. I mean, of, of, of bad service, which is discrimination. And we will try and force them to take our dollar. Yes, you will. In 2021. Yes. We're mm-hmm. still trying to make somebody take our dollar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so those days have to have to be gone. We have to have the same amount of patience and tolerance and persistence with building our business as we do with the tolerance that we have with others. Last one, on, on, on this note, last one. I, I just finished watching this the other night. Uh, when, when, when people ask, you know, well, how much tolerance, how much patience are we supposed to have? If you're talking about building your community for real, I encourage everybody to go back and look at the Montgomery uh, boycott, West uh, boycott. 381 days, that community was very intentional about accomplishing their goal. They had to do the big S, which we are not comfortable doing, which is to sacrifice. Yes. And if we want to rebuild Black Wall Street, if we want to build Wakanda, if we want a Fortune 500 restaurant company, if we want a, restaurant, a food service company traded on the NASDAQ, then we've got to be deliberate in where we circulate our dollars. I'm going I'm to I'm slow you down on that one because I love everything you say. All right. I'm going to slow All right, you down. Because, because, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know I'm the son, grandson, and great-grandson of Black Baptist preacher. So. And, and guess what? I ain't ever going to stop you. I ain't ever going to stop you. Now, but as a I got black my microphone entre- around here somewhere. But as a black entrepreneur, you know, there's always been that fear. If I tell people who I am, will I get the same reaction? 
you know, especially from the white community. And then we, we, we had a great groundswell in 2020 that was led behind that tragic death of, you know, uh, <clears throat> of George Floyd. George Floyd. I apologize for forgetting his name. And uh, and so then all of a sudden the engine, the, the corporation said, hey, we want to know if you are a black-owned business. Google actually went out and said, we have a yeah. little marker that you can actually say, if you're a minority business, check this. And so now you have mm-hmm. black businesses saying, you know, we can actually come out of the dark and 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 be appreciated. You know, only time you would say you was a black business, you put your sign up so doing a riot, nobody would tear down your building. That's when you say you were black owned. Prior to that, you didn't want to recognize it at all, be recognized at all. But we now at a point differently, like I said, post IG, and that's the life we live in now, where you can be proud, you can brag, you can promote that you're a black owned business. Is that important, Marcus? Yeah, look, and, and and I wish those people that you're talking about, I wish you had, had pointed them out to me before, because I, I, you know, I don't know. How, and I've seen it. I, I, I'm aware. I, I, I've seen where people will make an effort to conceal or to. And and I, I just see I, I'll say this uh, uh, post-traumatic slave disorder is real. Right. Anytime you decide that you got to hide or uh, have a fear of letting people know who you are mm-hmm. uh, or what you're about. You know, I, I deliberately from day one, September. Uh, October uh, 2001, deliberately wanted folks to know that this was an African-American-owned establishment, right? Yes. Now, that didn't mean that all of our all 100 seats were for African-Americans. It just meant that the person who had their name on the door, on, on the mortgage, on the lease, uh, on the permit, was African-American. But we're going to deliver a product that is good for the general market. And that was a goal, right? Some reason For some reason, African-Americans, well, I, for the obvious reason, that, that, that phrase I just gave, post-traumatic slave disorder. African-Americans have been denied the, 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 the knowledge that we have the ability to, to create a product for the general marketplace. We've been convinced that the only market, the only product that we can create for the general marketplace, not just for black folks, but yes. for the whole pie, was whether we can run fast, we can jump high, or whether we can sing or whether we can dance. Right. Those were the only places where we felt our gifts, our talents, our skills were worthy of the general marketplace. And I'm, I'm here to say not so. Right. I am here to build black business. I am here to build black business that will flourish in the general marketplace. Awesome. Now, that, that leads me to your statement on your show, host of Fish, Grits and Politics, <laughs> you know, because we've been actually having fish, grits and politics talk this entire interview. And that's that, how he is. Go. you know, he's an entrepreneur. He's a game changer. And tell us about the show. Tell us about the uh, the need for the show and what's the goal of the show. So, you know, you mentioned in in the in the opening. I, I spent some time uh, doing uh, commentary, <laughs> yes, community yeah. voice, community activist, whatever title it, 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 it is. And my big mouth got landed me a seat on the radio, uh, sitting next to my mentor. Uh, Sister Da, aka Ada Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the, she was a radio host in Houston for uh, a number of years on a community program, and so I sat uh, at her at her foot and learned from her, and then went on to become the host of Magic 102's Sunday Morning Live for uh, for ten years. Yes. I don't know if ten years. Yes. Thank you, Paul. And said, "Okay, all right. Let me, let me not. Let me <laughs> Lord, Lord ever. See, he's seen me. I'm telling Marcus. Marcus has saw me all the way back to hip hop comedy stop. Comedy stop days. Oh, okay. So, man, look. I, you know, I, I had saved that. I had saved that to last. But since you brought it up, I'm gonna go, go ahead and talk about it now. 
Entrepreneurship is contagious. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely contagious. Mm -hmm. The day that I walked into the hip hop comedy stop and I did the same thing that people walk into the breakfast club. This black home, yeah. this us, and then your chest <laughs> swells up. You know, you stand a little taller. You know, you hear you get a little higher because you know this is this is us doing something. So when I heard those commercials running with you and brother David, uh, and I went and I saw and I went and then I happened to go one night when Steve was there and I just you know my rib is still cracked from <laughs> one of those late night shows, man. Where I just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing about it, Marcus, is that you know you, you, entrepreneurship is is is, is contagious. So I, I have to tell you yes. that uh, that 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 was a source of fertilization uh, for the entrepreneurial uh, uh, seed that was inside of me. So I appreciate you and your brothers stepping out on faith and doing that. Well, you know, sometimes you know I, I've looked at my life and I just like I said, I do it on faith. I do it on belief. I believe that somebody can't tell me no. If you're going to tell me no, you're going to have to tell me why. And speaks so no stops a lot of people. When you tell me no, you have to tell me, explain, explain. Don't just tell me no. You have to explain to me the why. Because right, that right. way I can, if you tell me why and explain to me, I'm going to figure out that I can do it. Because well, and, and you know part of why that, why that is, Rashawn? Mm -hmm. I've, I've discovered. Part of why that is, and this goes back to your question about why not one, 10, 15, 20 stores. Yes, sir. Part of why the, you, you hear the no is because what people are doing is they're attempting to project their fear and their faithlessness onto you. Yes, yes. Right? What they're telling you, what they're saying when they say, no, you can't do it, is they're saying, I've seen that I can't do it. I don't have the faith to do it. So I'm telling you how I feel, and I'm going to project it onto you. I'm not saying that they're doing it deliberately. I think it's being done unconsciously, right? Right. Uh, right. But, but people have to understand that you cannot allow others to project their fearfulness onto you. You've got to stand flat-footed and faithfully on the dream, the goal, the vision that was placed inside of you if you want it to come in, in, into fruition. So <laughs> go, when, when the reason I mentioned the one, the 10, the 100 is because every time you have a restaurant concept and people talk about expanding, if you listen, the marketplace will tell you, oh, I, I, I've literally heard this. I took surveys and I've literally heard people say, don't do this. Every time we do this, we lose. Right. And I, I point out to one young lady, I said, I can guarantee you, I can, in your day, I can point out three or four concepts that you support that were once one store operations, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. When you go get your coffee in the morning at that buck place, they started out as a single store. Yes. When you go get your nuggets at that filet place, they started out as a single store. Mm -hmm. And truth be told, we are the ones that are financing a whole arm and leg of this growth, yes. of this expansion. Yes. yes, And so we just have to turn that faith around and believe that we have the ability. We already have the ability. You know, McDonald's don't run McDonald's 365 for no reason. They run 365 because we in that 365. 365. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Marcus, uh, first I'm sorry, of all, man. First of all, <laughs> first of all, I'll tell you something, man. I knew I would be talking to you an hour conversation. Now, you know you're coming back for your 20th anniversary. Let's go and be real hey. about that. But but I just want to get to these seasonings, these flavors behind you, because you know I got a TV show called Rashawn's Kitchen now. Well, a little birdie told me that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I got to get that stuff 
so I can start making stuff and start posting on my social media and support you this way. So tell us about the seasoning. Talk about the extension of going into online packaging and grocery stores and stuff like that because I got to feature this stuff on Roussan's Kitchen. I got a, I got a, I got a, a cook. I got, of course, you know I can cook and bake. And so, and I just do it just uh, anywhere from beans to steaks to fish now, everything. Talk about your whole line of seasoning and packaging. So, yeah, so, man, we um, we have a line of products that give you the ability to uh, take us home with you, right? You can, you can you want that same great flavor of the chicken. You want that same great flavor of the fish. You want the same great flavor of the waffle. Uh, then we have a lot of products. So we have, we have our chicken fry, our fish fry. Uh, we have our pancake and waffle mix. We have our coffee beans. Because uh, we are a full-service coffee shop. Yes, sir. Uh, you can get them whole bean or you can get them ground up. And then most importantly, last and most importantly, sorry, I'm going to do the selfless plug. We have we have our all-purpose seasoning, right? Ooh, that's what I want right there, brother, for my beans, that's it right here. for my greens, that, that, all that, that right that, there. Hey, look here, man, I'm going to tell you, look, look, uh, I tell folks, so my father, who was the, the, the biggest influence in my career, uh, because he was a great educator, he was a great musician, but... He was also a great chef. He was, a, I mean, his food was just absolutely dynamic. And he taught me what great, great flavor uh, actually was. And so uh, fortunately, his, his, my first year in business, he was here with me to help formulate uh, the recipes and, and, and the menu and all that good stuff. And this is a result of what he taught me. The uh, Breakfast and it Club is an signature season. season. It is the base for everything that we do at the Breakfast Club. And I tell people, because I've had people order it and, they, and they're like, man, I can't believe how good that was. I was like, you've eaten at the restaurant 37,000 times. <laughs> how not? I just, I just didn't know. Yes. So for those who cook, anywhere that you, and I'm not going to give nobody else no props, anywhere that you use those other people's seasoning, yes, right? Sir. Stop, put it down, and pick this up. So if you use that T word, yeah. substitute right here. If you use that slap your whatever, 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 yeah. substitute right here. <laughs> anywhere you use an all-purpose seasoning, I invite you, to get the Breakfast Club seasoning and take us home with you, guaranteed. I'm just tell you this, Mark. It tastes like we're soon. I'm tell you, Mark. Don't don't send me nothing. I'll be ordering that today, okay? Because you know me, I always support black businesses in, in that way. I know I use all-purpose seasoning. I have another young black lady who's really talented. I use her, and she's African-American, seasoning and stuff. But I got to invite you into my kitchen, man, Rashawn's Kitchen, talk oh, about your product and all that good stuff. But again, man, the greatest talker and motivator in the game, in the <laughs> restaurant game, his name is Marcus sorry, David, brother. straight out of Houston, it. Texas. He'll be back on in the fall celebrating the 20th year of the Breakfast Club in Houston, Texas, because we're going to talk about a lot of great things. Thank you for coming back on the show, man. You're a beautiful brother. You're beautiful. Man, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite, man. You look great. You look fantastic. You look healthy. I'm glad you, I'm glad you're taking care of yourself. We want you and need you here uh, for a couple more years, a few more years, a lot of more years. Thank you. So. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, 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 and hey, man, and thank you. I got to tell you, you know, we, 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 we got some national recognition uh, in our first couple of years of business, but man, we hit it big. We hit it big when Rashawn called and said, Hey, man, y'all gonna be on the Steve Harvey show. There I said, go. Hot damn. <laughs> love it, man. I love you, Marcus. Mama, man. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus, for coming on Money Making Conversations, brother. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, 
Whether you're preparing for Reyes Magos or Karamu, lighting the menorah, or going to midnight mass, Kohl's has just what you need to make those traditions special. Plus, you'll find gifts for all your loved ones. Send warm wishes with cozy fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. Or treat them to everyone's favorite activewear from top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when there are parched or windy conditions out there, you got to be extra careful with things like burning yard waste. After all, wildfires can start anywhere, even in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. I recently interviewed Gina Yasare, a British comedian of Nigerian heritage. She is the co-creator, co-executive producer, writer, and actress on the hit CBS series Bob Hart's Abashola. Gina is releasing her first book, a memoir, Cackhanded, which chronicles her odyssey to get to America and break into Hollywood. I wrote the book. Originally, it started off as just on Instagram. There was a hashtag Throwback Thursdays where you post old pictures. Mm -hmm. And I was posting old pictures and writing the story behind the picture. So I post a picture and write an elaborate post explaining the history behind the picture. And people were really interested in saying, oh my God, your story's so good. Why don't you write a book? So I started keeping those. And I wanted to talk about my history because people don't seem to realize that the UK started slavery. If you want to hear the full interview with Gina Yashare, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is one of my favorite people. Uh, her name is Snoop Dillard. She's the owner of Dillard Hospitality Group, DHG. Dillard Hospitality Group is an Atlanta-based hospitality company that takes pride in delivering high-quality care and customer service with five restaurants, three salon suites, a charity organization, two tourism and travel agencies, a real estate investment and business consulting agency. DHG has become a leader in, provide, in Atlanta now. Excellent examples of optimal delivery within the service industry of Atlanta, Georgia. On the show today, Snoop and I, we're going to talk to her about her road to recovery and also her mentorship program because last year, both she and I were frustrated with this COVID-19, being that we were both entrepreneurs. And uh, also talking about putting your business back on the fast fast track to success. If anybody can talk about that because of, of our diversity of her portfolio is her. Please welcome to the show, Money Making Conversation, Snoop Dillard. How you doing, Snoop? 
Y'all doing great. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate that phenomenal, uh, that phenomenal, phenomenal intro as well. Well, you know, you know, so stupid. You're one of my favorite people. And uh, last time I had you on the show, was COVID was beating us up as entrepreneurs. Was beating know, us right? both up. You know, uh, your 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 birthday tour got canceled. Everything, and I can t- I can hear in your voice you were frustrated. And because there were no answers, can you walk us back through as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a restaurant owner? Because that was really scary because customers couldn't come in your business and talk about that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you all know, of course, you know, we all went through the same thing with COVID-19. And uh, I think it was probably around the beginning of April or the end of March uh, that you and I spoke last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, definitely frustrating time that was around the time when everything was just being shut down. Uh, we were unclear on when things would open up and when everything would even turn back to um, any type of normalcy or if there ever would be normalcy and what that would look like, you know, um, for months and years to come. So um, absolutely a frustrating time. As you mentioned, I own five restaurants. So just having all of those closed at once was very, very scary. Um, it made me have to be super innovative um, and really, you know, just kind of think out of the box. Uh, for, now, fortunately, uh, we were able to open back up, you know, about a month after month later after right. we spoke, you know, uh, during that time last year. And so I was very surprised that we were able to open back up as quickly as we were um, and even more so surprised and pleased to see. Um, people coming out and patronizing the businesses like they did, you know, once we were able to open back up. And so uh, I went on to open up three new businesses during the pandemic. So uh, that was definitely, it was kind of like turning, you know, lemons into lemonade, right. you know, making mm-hmm. a bad situation and turning that into a positive situation. So um, everything ended up turning out all right, but it was definitely, <laughs> you know, a, a scary time, you know, for all of us then. Uh, I think a time that we'll, you know, all never forget. Well, you know, it's really interesting because uh, you, you're always upbeat. You're always uh, a positive. And, you know, and I, as a, and I want to call you a friend of mine. Uh, just hearing your voice and hearing the, um, the, the uncertainty in your voice during COVID as an, as an entrepreneur. Because not only that, you try to get customers in the door, but you have people you're employing and you're hearing their stories and their, their checks and their bills that they cannot pay. Uh-huh. But with that being said, there has been a difference in customer service now because now online or to go has become a, has changed the dynamics, especially in black restaurants. Talk yeah. about how that has shifted your business model. Well, you know, while we were shut down, um, we were, well, we were allowed to stay open just to do takeout. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that made us have to focus, you know, on that aspect of the business much more than we ever had before. Um, Before, you know, we always were more so concerned and catered to the customers that were coming into the business. So Mm -hmm. uh, we ended up seeing a lot of our profits from, you know, Uber Eats, Grubhub, uh, things of that nature, nature, and even changing our platform um, to see how we could do uh, takeout and delivery without using those platforms, which take you know a certain percentage of profit. So mm-hmm. uh, it was definitely a time to kind of change some things, uh, change our. We even looked at changing our to-go containers, you know, to 
preserve food and make sure that our to-go food uh, was fresh, just like it would be in the restaurant, right. you know, once you got it there at home. So um, definitely a lot of thinking outside the box, you know, right. during this time period and some things that we've carried on up until now, you know, we've even implemented curbside windows at several of our locations um, and still keep those going to this day, even though people are coming back into the restaurants now. You know, it was really interesting. I was with a friend. I was at the, I was at the Waffle House and uh, we were sitting up at the bar eating and I could tell you, it was actually the the, the the go pickup area at the end of the bar for Waffle was like amazing. It was like it was like a constant steady flow. So I know the mentality of a, of the customer now is they have no problem coming in, picking up their their food, and exiting out of the facility. Is that it maybe tied to maybe a fear, or is just a habit that was built during COVID nineteen when it comes to future restaurant customers? I think it was a habit that was built during that time period. Mm -hmm. And so that enabled you. That's why you said, okay, Rashawn, we used to have a certain way that we delivered. I'm talking to Snoop Dillard and her customers. She has five restaurants in the Atlanta area. And Snoop, when we were talking about this, the the ability to say you have different things. You have the you have the sealed containers that you can just put a lid on top, of it. Uh-huh. and then you also you have the little the little styrofoam that you will just fold down and just uh-huh. walk out of there. So I'm assuming that you went more to a sealed container as far as your yeah. to go. And even with the styrofoam, you know, we went to a more breathable styrofoam container that would you know keep wings and fried foods you know fresher uh-huh. um, by the time we get those to the to the home location. Okay, cool. Well, let's, well, we, we, we're out of that. You know, we're into 2021, 2022. We plan it on you because I know you, you know, you're not a person that sits uh, 30 days out. You plan a year in advance. You got the five restaurants, the three salon suites. Break down to everybody your five restaurants in the Atlanta area so we get a sense of what the hospitality group is doing from a restaurant perspective. Absolutely. Um, we've got Escobar Restaurant and Tapas, which is uh, located downtown on Peter Street at 327 Peter Street. Uh, we've got Escobar South, um, which is on the south side in Morrow, Georgia at 1140 Mount Zion Road. And we've also got Members Only Lounge and Restaurant, which is located at 139 Ralph McGill, once again downtown. Uh, and then uh, we've got Crave Restaurant, which is located in Little Five Points. Right. Uh, and then uh, I also own Esco Seafood. So that one was opened up during the pandemic and it's located at 447 Edgewood Avenue. This opening up a restaurant during the pandemic. Talk to me. You know, people out there can't even get PPP. Okay. People <laughs> out there can't even. And you made a decision. Was it, was that in the works already? No, it was not. Um, the reason why I made the decision to open up Esco Seafood is because I saw the influx of people that were coming to Atlanta, being that we were one of the only cities that was opened up the way that we were during the pandemic. Um, and just kind of wanted to take advantage of that. Um, also, there were some unfortunate restaurants that did have to close down mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And so uh, there were several second generation restaurant locations available um, that would allow us to get open pretty quickly. Um, and so once I found that location on Edgewood, which is a pretty sought after you know area yes. to be on, um, there's a lot of walk up traffic 
on that street. Um, I figured that that would be a good area to start um, our seafood chain um, and go ahead and get that going. And so we actually get that got that location open in about three months. We opened uh, December 9th of last year. Well, I'm going to be honest with everybody. When I talk to Snoop Dillard, uh, she's a visionary. I, I tell her that all the time. And she, but she's also a grinder. When I say a grinder, means that she's out there grinding. She doesn't even realize how she knows she's talented, but may not realize the her talent and the impact that she makes on other people. Well, she has a program, a mentorship program that uh, that uh, the Road to Mentorship program. Talk to us about that Road to Mentorship program and why it's important and why did you start it? Absolutely. So who is Snoop's Road to Millions mentorship program? I pretty much started this mentorship program during COVID. Um, One of the things that I did while we were shut down was to film various courses that I felt would be helpful uh, to people who wanted to get into entrepreneurship, um, who wanted to start saving and investing, um, who wanted to get into restaurant ownership. Um, And then also during COVID, um, I took a course myself to sharpen (laughs) my skills uh, by a friend of mine named Mark. Is Barney. Uh, he has this whole recession proof family where he teaches financial literacy, credit repair, um, funding, business credit, things of that nature. So, um, and just kind of pulling all of that together and combining some of the things that I've been teaching and questions I've been answering through my business consultations in the past few years. Right. I said, hey, well, let me kind of put together a mentorship program that would encompass all of this information um, to be able to help individuals with my platform um, get to the point that they can be millionaires or get to the point that they can reach their goal. And so that's what it is that I'm doing. Um, It's a mentorship program. It lasts about four weeks. Um, It encompasses uh, teaching people how to invest, teaching people how to save, um, teaching, uh, fixing individuals' credit, um, showing them how to build business credit, uh, showing them how to get funding, uh, showing them how to start businesses, how to scale businesses. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and there's a lot of one-on-one um, with my mentees. So um, it's been a great program. People have really, really been in, been enjoying it. Uh, started off wanting to take about 10 mentees a month, kind of right. had to scale back because it, it <laughs> kind of became a little overwhelming. So uh, right now I, I kind of take on about six to eight mentees per month. Um, and it, it's a great program. People can find out more information about it by going to my website at www.whoissnoop.com. Well, here's the thing. I'm talking to Snoop Dillard. She's the owner of Dillard Hospitality Group. If you're not aware, it's an Atlanta-based hospitality company that takes pride in delivering high-quality care and customer service. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about this. It all started with a party bus, you know, in Atlanta way back in the day. And it's just an idea of, of, of stepping out on some – people, some people use the word faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you and I, we kind of like – we got faith, but we also are planners. And yeah. we also have a budget tied to the plan. So mm-hmm. – Give people advice on that whole process because, you know, you know, prayer is used a lot when people make a decision. But also within that prayer, it has to be a, a sense of reality, a sense of a, a revenue that you can generate out of your dream. And um, how do you put your ideas together, especially in the early days of starting your company and then building your, I want to say the word empire? Uh, I think it starts with number one, first and foremost, having a good plan, as you mentioned, you know, and, and when we talk about plan, a good business plan, you know, a lot of people are, <clears throat> excuse me, starting businesses without even having a business plan. 
Um, so it really starts there. You know, it starts with um, having a good business plan, doing the research, um, having good mentorship, uh, knowing individuals that are in the line of work that you're trying right. to get into or that have businesses similar to what you're trying to do, um, and really studying and scaling those businesses and, and putting the research together with the grind and the hustle. Because um, a lot of times people really don't research what it is that they're trying to do and they end up spending and wasting a lot of money trying to learn along the way. So um, that's been a big thing for me. Um, it's just having great mentors um, and having good planning skills, you know, um, and also, you know, having that funding, you know, saving and having the finances um, to be able to back up, you know, those dreams and aspirations. Well, the interesting thing when I when I sit down and talk to Snoop Dogg is that there's always a level of confidence. But you, and I'm gonna tell you, something, I I don't understand balance. You know, you seem to be able to understand. Hey, I can relax. I can go on vacation. I celebrate with my friends. How are you able to do that? Because I would tell you, I love. I, you know, I tell people I love to work. I love the. I bought a building and during COVID, you was out there establishing a restaurant. I bought a building. Okay, so <laughs> I, 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 I bought into myself and believed in myself. And one of the great business decisions I made in the past several years. How do uh-huh. you balance being able to be exceptionally busy as an entrepreneur, but then also having a, a family life, a, a social life, a life to be able to know your friends and spend time with your friends? Uh, Absolutely. Great question. Um, I think for me, I made the decision a few years ago that uh, it it was just something that I had to do because it's extremely important to me. You know, I think that, you know, we're all here for a reason and, and that, you know, when we leave this earth, you know, we look at tombstones and I've never walked by anyone's tombstones that said, a uh, great athlete, great business person, owner of such and such. Right. You know, it says mother, father, sister, daughter, friend mm-hmm. to whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the relationships that I feel like are most important that we need to make sure that we make time for. So um, it's definitely about having that balance and scheduling those things. And uh, it used to be a point in time where I would, you know, be up all night checking emails, <laughs> yes, in the middle yes, of the night checking yes. emails working. And so I've decided mm-hmm. that, you know, I've got to have a cutoff point because <clears throat> there are things that are also important in life that don't evolve around money and business. Mm-hmm. Well, it's to, before I get into the uh, the good credit and rep- credit repair company, I want to talk about your um, charity organization. And then mm-hmm. also I want to talk about something that African-Americans really don't get into is that the tourism and travel business. Mm-hmm. And we know that's about to take back off just this past weekend. Cruise ships have been released. They're starting to go back out into the waters and travel this world. I'm a big component of a of, 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 of friend, a big fan of people doing cruises, especially black people. They don't realize that you go out there, you get your room, you get your food, you get your experience. It's done. You know what I'm saying? All inclusive. <laughs> it's all inclusive. So talk about first about your charity, and then we're going to go over into the tourism and travel agencies. That encompasses under DHG. Absolutely, yeah. So my charity organization is Her Impact Foundation. Um, and what we do is we just try to help the community in any ways that we can. So we have um, movements where we feed the homeless um, right. and set up, you know, um, coalitions, you know, with various organizations in the community to be able to do that. Um, we also help um, kids, you know, that are going back to school that aren't able to, you know, whose parents aren't able to provide, you know, their school supplies and things of that nature. Um, we've got a Friendsgiving 
uh, event that we do, which is also just based around during the Thanksgiving time, um, feeding the community um, and giving back to some of the homeless individuals. So uh, definitely try to focus uh, a lot of efforts in that. Um, I was a single mother, so uh, we do a, uh, I do a diaper drive as well once a year, and it's just uh, basically, you know, getting <laughs> donations, you know, of Pampers right. uh, and diapers and donating those to mothers that are in need. Uh, so we do a lot of different, you know, combinations of different efforts to give back uh, to the community here in Atlanta. Um, and then moving over to the, the travel um, leg of things. So um, we're actually kind of in the works of putting that together right now, but it's just helping individuals to be able to see the world um, and travel, you know, um, and be able to, you know, because right now uh, travel is so high. <clears throat> Last right. year it was, you know, they dropped the prices on everything because not as many people were traveling. Right. And now that everything's kind of opening back up, they're hitting everybody over the head. So, um, but they do have programs where you can get tickets on layaway and things of that nature. But right. a lot of people don't realize, you know, how reasonable it can be, you know, to travel and just what the importance of it is and being able to have that culture um, and expand your mind. A lot of times, you know, as your eyes see things, um, your mind expands um, and, it, and it cultivates and creates different dreams for you um, and different goals that you may want to reach. So I think everything is all connected. Well, I know you, Snoop. Do I see a future, you know, Tom Joyner type cruise in your future? Uh, right, I, I, know right. you, I know you. I know you. I know you now. You know, used to party bus. That's how it all started. That's just a bigger version of that. To get to travel and safe and friends and family. Well, how how big you gonna go with this now? Because you never do anything small. It's always in the small is the planning stage. But once the planning stage is the limit. (laughs) Come on now, come on now. The whole process of getting uh, African Americans out into the uh, travel space, and like you said, because of COVID. Car rentals are extremely high nowadays. You know, getting a good car is ridiculous, especially if you get into the Florida area. So getting with a travel agency or a tourism organization that can protect you and provide you with information, you really can't just jump out there like you used to. You know, gas prices are high in certain states. In certain places, parts of California, it's $5 a gallon in California. <laughs> so that's the type of information that, that comes to your organization, when people come to you, is like basically you protect people, providing them with information that makes you steering them in the right direction, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about good credit, bad credit. Black people are <laughs> notorious that we have a history. I'm not saying we do, but we always hear the jokes, you know, you you put your, your child's name on your on your on your on your gas bill or your light bill, that your poor child grow up, they realize they got bad credit. Okay. We, we've 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 seen these stories, we've heard these stories, and been a part of this story, depending on who's listening to this interview. When you talk <laughs> about good credit in your repair company to help that out, let's talk about what exactly is good credit, Snoop. You know, good credit, it used to be a 720 or better, but, you know, they're saying that nowadays that doesn't even cut it. Um, but, you know, a, a good credit report, number one, is at least, you know, 10 open positive accounts, zero derogatory accounts, zero late marks, uh, zero items in collections, and only two to three inquiries, um, you know, over the past couple of years. Right. Um, and, and that could be easily attainable, you know, just by hiring a credit repair company and kind of show, show you what it is you need to do. Uh, even a lot of people that I know that have good credit, 
they don't even know how they get there, um, especially a lot, you know, people from, you know, our, our older generations and things of that nature. So I think it's so important to have that literacy behind it because, you know, it used to be like cash is king. Um, and I still believe that to this day, but hey, if you've got good credit, you can keep a lot of that cash in your pocket. Um, you know, and if, you, if you've got good credit personally, right. mm-hmm. then you can build and, and um, establish good business credit mm-hmm. um, and end up getting a lot of things in your business name um, and they don't have to go on your personal credit report um, and affect your debt to income ratio. So um, I think it's probably one of the most important things I'm doing right now is, you know, my credit repair business and helping individuals be able to repair their credit because um, a lot of people's financial goals and dreams are based upon are based around having a good credit score. Um, you know, it's hard to buy a home if you don't have a good good credit. Right. You know, um, it's hard to get the dream car that you want if you don't have good credit. You know, it's hard to start that business if you don't have good credit. So um, that's one of the things that uh, I took courses on and did a lot of research on during the pandemic. Um, and I'm using that information now to be able to teach that to other entrepreneurs and just other individuals. Well, you know, I it was interesting. I would tell people for some reason when I was 18 years old, I always protected my credit. I always, mm-hmm. I was always protective of, of of paying my bills on time. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when somebody comes to you, your credit repair service, you know, they confused. Obviously, it's messed up. That's obviously the case. What mm-hmm. are the what are the steps in in sitting down with a person and getting them pointed in the right direction? Because they have to do something too. You know, because they they wouldn't be sitting in front of you if they didn't do it right. Okay, right. right. Um, So one of the first steps for me is, number one, finding out what their goals are. You know, what are your goals for your credit? Because, you know, you can fix somebody's credit, but, you know, if they don't have, you know, the right amount of trade lines or the right mix of credit, a lot of times it's still hard for them to get what it is that they're looking to obtain. So um, the first and foremost thing is finding out what their goals are. Um, Secondly, um, it's helping to create a budget for them, um, because, as you mentioned, there's still some things that they're going to need to do on their own and they're going to need to they may have to pay some things down or whatever the case may be. Um, Third, it's pulling their credit reports. Um, So getting those three credit reports and seeing exactly um, where it is that they are and and what we need to do, you know, whether it's getting things removed off of their credit, uh, whether it's paying some of our credit cards down. Uh, I've got some people who come with decent credit and they just need to know how to uh, hide their utilization or they need to know how to, uh, manufacture their spending um, so that they can get higher credit limits. Um, so it's it's a, a wealth of different things. Sometimes it's selling trade lines to individuals or helping provide them with trade lines so that they get more established credit history. Right. Um, for, you know to show their potential creditors. So. Um, it's a base of looking at it, and then one thing that I offer is a free consultation. So a lot of times. Uh, people will <clears throat> go to credit repair individuals and they're fixed their credit, but they have no information on how to keep that credit score up. Um, and so that's one of the things that I teach is just, you know, how can you keep that credit score up? Um, what is it that the credit bureaus and the credit reporting agencies are looking at? How do we get this score? What is this score comprised of? So there's also some education that goes behind it as well. Well, when we, we, we as we wrapped up this call and we talk about, um, you know, black people in general trying to be mobile. We, we've had the social movement. We, we, we recognize as a credible part of uh, this country 
and uh, and still being demonized because people don't want to acknowledge that there is a problem. As right. as a as a black business owner in the city of Atlanta, what are the advantages that you are achieving, and what are the negatives that you are still having to overcome? Um, I think some of the advantages is just being in a black city, a black city where when you go down to City Hall, a lot of those individuals and officials that are making decisions look just like you. They're the same color as you are. Mm -hmm. um, their hair is the same way, et cetera. I just think that that is very, very helpful and very, very inspiring, especially coming from a city like Nashville, Tennessee. You know, right. I went to high school and college in Nashville, Tennessee, originally from Detroit. And so um, I've seen both sides of the coin and how difficult it can be um, when you don't live in a black city um, and you don't have the help of, you know, city hall and various council members and things of that nature. Um, I think some of the negatives, just some of the, the influx of crime that we've seen here in Atlanta due to COVID. Right. Um, it definitely was not like this before the pandemic. Uh, we get a lot of people who moved here from other cities, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people who traveled here, you know, from other cities, um, to be able to take advantage of a lot of the, the great things that we have here in Atlanta. Um, and I think that uh, we definitely need that uh, revitalization and reconstruction, you know, right. down in City Hall. And it starts with, you know, this this mayor uh, race that, you know, we're going to have in the next four or five months. So, um <laughs> I think that that's probably one of the biggest negatives. Um, I really don't see too many um, outside of that. Hey, you know, Atlanta is a great city and it's been great to me. So um, I can't really come up with too many negatives other than just some of the things that we're battling now that were due to the pandemic. Absolutely. What's well, new? You know, uh, always fantastic. First of all, I'm happy to see the smile back. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, I'm finally going to get to you on your restaurants and sit down and eat with you and dad because oh, you invited okay. me to a couple of testings, taste testings that I wasn't able to make. And so that's my goal this year. Congratulations on all your success and always keep me posted. And I got out my, I always got to have my annual, you know, Snoop check in. Okay, it's my super check in. Absolutely. I appreciate you so much. It was so good to see you this morning. Okay, cool. You stay strong and we talk soon. Okay, Snoop. All righty. Thank you. You have a good one. Okay. Okay, cool. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. At ADP, we understand the importance of building the right team and offer the data insights to help. Just as importantly, our AI technology helps you pay the team accurately. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. 
Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes! Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. I spoke with Sean Robinson, the Emmy Award-winning journalist and executive producer, who is a proud graduate of Spelman College and HBCU in Atlanta, Georgia. We discussed how Spelman College shaped her life. You know, Spelman gave me an appreciation, a real appreciation for sisterhood. And also, when you empower a girl, she can change the world. I would not trade my education at Spelman for anything in the world. It just taught us that, you know, first of all, it taught us the value of education and gave us a real connection about our ancestry and where we came from and the fact that it was up to us to help change the world for the better for all these little black girls coming after us. If you want to hear this full interview with Sean Robinson, visit moneymakingconversations.com. Keep winning. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Terry Dennison. She's the Georgia District Director of the U.S. Small Business Administration, you know as the SBA. In this role since May 2002, she's responsible for overseeing the implementation of the SBA's financial counseling, training, and business development program for small business throughout Georgia. The SBA is the only cabinet-level federal agency fully dedicated to small business and provides counseling, capital, and contracting expertise as the nation's only go-to resource and voice for small business. If you are a small business owner, listen up. This is a show you want, you don't want to miss. She's my friend. Every time I get a chance to bring her on the show, she begins drops pearls of wisdom to all entrepreneurs or people who want to go into the entrepreneurial space. Even in the chaos of this situation, small business owners still saw opportunities and she was there to help them seize that opportunity. Georgia District processed over $1 billion for traditional SBA loans over the past year, despite the challenges of COVID-19. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation to Georgia District Director of the SBA, Terry Dennison. How you doing, Terry? I'm doing fine. Great to see you again. It's been way too long. Thank you. You know, I, I, I call you my friend. I call you my friend because you come on my show and you enlighten people about an organization that, quite frankly, a lot of people know nothing about. And, this and is true. <laughs> how do we? How do we change that? Because, like I said, I learned about it when I opened my comedy club way back in the day when I was living in Houston, Texas. I went in there. Resources were free. Counseling was free. You guys were the organization in Texas, which is just the same like the SBA here, were there to want to want me to be successful. If I was opening a nightclub, they would tell me, "You here's a book. You can, this is how you can work out your budget." They had counseling and organizations and things like that. So you've been at this helm since 2002 in the state of Georgia. Talk about the, the growth and then technology accelerating some of the opportunities of working as an entrepreneur with the SBA. Well, definitely this past year has really tested the idea of connecting with people virtually. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily in all cases the best 
uh, option, yes. but it was an option that we could use. And I think it forced us to kind of up our game in terms of our technology and the application of that technology mm-hmm. to reach across the state uh, because our office is responsible for the entire state of Georgia. And so this is definitely a tool that we can use uh, for that. We also have a new program that is coming up. Uh, It's a pilot program under the American Rescue Plan called Community Navigators. Right. And that's where we would uh, grant to uh, key uh, community organizations Mm -hmm. and stakeholders who have networks within the communities across the state uh, to basically be that liaison between us and the small business community. Um, Sometimes it's hard for us as a federal government agency, being the government, to um, uh, connect or people feel they can connect to us. And this is a way for us to utilize those stakeholders that already have a reputation in various communities to be more knowledgeable about us and to help connect us to those uh, small business owners existing and uh, uh, perspective in those communities. Well, you know, that's really interesting you're saying that because I'm just using terminology. When you when they always talk about the police, they always say if the police would be in the neighborhood, then it would be better served for that neighborhood. So it sounds like you're taking your the brand, which is a national brand that is also localized in each state, and now you're taking it more into the community. Let's let's stay on that a minute because I think that's really uh, important. We talk about the community navigators, which is a program established to provide grants to organizations and local communities. It helps small businesses connect to local SBA resources, and that's what we're talking about at the very top about. I know about the SBA, but a lot of people who need to know about the SBA know nothing about it. And that's what the community navigator will be able to help in this role, correct? That is correct. Now, when they serve as a link between these small businesses existing and the startups, now, it, now let's let's talk about if you can walk me through and slow us down, because we <laughs> always hear about opportunities, Terry. You always hear about, well, you know, this is available to you, but still, how do you access it? So we have this great community navigator program. How do I access that program? Uh, and also, I'd be interested in knowing how I can be a part of that program. It feels like something that my organization or me in general should be naturally associated with because I'm always trying to be that connected dot with local bu- local businesses. Well, that's local businesses, local entrepreneurs. And a lot of times people need to understand it's not always a brick and mortar. You know, entrepreneur has a wide range of opportunities. Where and so, don't be confused that you gotta you gotta be selling a you gotta be a restaurant, you gotta be a mechanic store, or you gotta be a place of a a full fledged business. You are a business, and you have to reach certain requirements. Now, this community navigator, how long it has it been in place, Terry? Well, it's actually just was passed back uh, in, that would be in March, when the American Rescue Plan was uh, enacted. Mm -hmm. And we're really just getting the program off the ground. Currently, the agency is accepting proposals Mm -hmm. uh, from various organizations, what we call hubs, which would be like the lead organization. Mm -hmm. And they will be presenting proposals on how they utilize spokes Mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. other smaller organizations uh, within a certain area. It could be nationally, it could be right. statewide, mm-hmm. or within a certain geographic area, say a city or a county. Uh, so that actually 
that application process goes through July 23rd. It was actually extended to allow the maximum number of applications to be submitted as possible. So we're at the very beginning of implementing this program. Okay, and the purpose of the program, as we stated earlier, is kind of creating a more a more granular, a more localized level of communication. It can be somebody in your church. It can be people that you walk down the street, you hang out with. Basically, letting you know that the difficulty of being able to relate to the SBA isn't as difficult as you think if you know somebody and you feel comfortable with extending the conversation. Because a lot of people feel they just, it's just this program may be beyond their needs and their means because the SBA offers loans. And we're going to break that down, but I want to talk about this program just a little bit more. So through July 23rd, you say individuals right. can go online at the website. Where can they go? Uh, they would go to grants.gov, which is the official federal government portal for submitting grant applications. Mm -hmm. So you can look up uh, community navigators in grant.gov. It'll take you to the page, uh, give you all the updates regarding the request for proposal document mm -hmm. and what's being asked. And of course, what documents need to be submitted. Okay, cool. Well, guess, guess what? Your, your boy going to get on that now, Terry. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this opportunity. And so let's talk about the National Small Business Week. You know, usually in September, I'm just getting ahead of the curve now because I've learned <laughs> that if you don't get ahead of the curve, Terry, with information, people always say, I didn't know. I didn't know. Nobody told me. So we know that National Small Business Week will be celebrated mid-September, you know, and no awards will be given this year, but it will be recognized the, what I like to call, we have been, uh, I've been, I've been, I've been interviewing people from Texas, from California, from New York. When I say that, I'm talking about small business owners. And it has been a challenge to understand how you can keep your bills on the table, your people, your employees employed. What has been the most trying um, controversy? I shouldn't say that word, but uh, trying opportunities of trying to keep these businesses afloat other than the PPP program or loan programs, Terry? Well, I think even before we get to the money aspect, mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges is was, you know, people's business models. And if you had a business model that was dependent upon people coming into a location or you interacting with them face to face, uh, now you've got to change that dynamic because of the restrictions, you know, with social distancing and businesses actually being closed for a time. And then once they reopened, they had to meet certain guidelines mm -hmm. uh, for safety and health purposes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of businesses were just trying to figure out how do I now deliver my good or my service in a way that I had not envisioned originally or normally we would not. Uh, people had to rethink things like uh, their supply, the supply chain. Right. Because even if I'm operating to some degree, now the suppliers that help provide the good or service that I'm delivering, those have been disrupted as well. And now we've got to try to figure out how do we get what we need to keep the business going. So I really, my hand, my hats off to our resource partners, such as SCORE and the Small Business Development Centers and the Women Business Centers, who really helped the Georgia District Office in working with businesses, not only in terms of accessing the various resources uh, with PPP and the economic injury disaster loans, et cetera, but helping people figure out how to manage 
right. and structure their organizations and their operations to meet the challenges of the situation. Well, you know, and you never know where the challenge comes from or where the, where the because I'm going to tell you, when the Panama Command, when that, that ship got trapped in, the, in the just, I, um, I, it affected me personally because I, I, I take calcium pills. And I went into Walgreens, went to CVS, and I was like, I, I, finally I said, excuse me, what's going on? He said, man, he said, that ship that's blocking the Panama Canal is shutting down all available transport between that canal. And so that's what we just need to know. This may be in COVID-19, but there are other scenarios out there that can stop you from becoming a, a resourceful company if you don't plan ahead or you don't have alternative sources to move your product forward. That's what you were talking about, right, Terry? Correct. And one of the things, you know, we talk about business plans. Of course, a lot of people don't bother with business plans, which, of course, that's another uh, discussion why you should do one. Mm -hmm. But even when they do the business plan, they kind of focus on the maybe the most likely scenario or the best case scenario. But we never look at the other end of the spectrum. What if things don't go according to plan? Wow. You know, what mm -hmm. if my uh, supply chain and delivery systems are compromised because of a given situation right. or emergency? Mm -hmm. um, what if my revenues go down uh, 25%? Right. What does that look like in terms of my bottom line or my expenses go up? You know, with COVID-19, people now had to think about additional cleaning, you know, methods, more frequent cleaning, certain types of equipment. They had to think about PPE, of course, mm -hmm. personal protection equipment. Mm -hmm. That was extra expenses they had not envisioned mm -hmm. uh, prior to the pandemic. So when you're doing business planning, you really got to look at the full range of possibilities and have at least an outline of a game plan on how you can counter or mitigate some of those situations when they occur. Well, let's talk about the budget. It seems to be nobody wants to do a budget, but everybody wants to run a business. How can we convince people, Terry, come on, help me out, Terry Dennison. A budget. You, you got to know what your expenses are, not just how much you're trying to generate. There has to be a plan, especially if you're not, we're not talking about a one-off party. One-off party, you can probably get away with that. If you're trying to do sign a lease with somebody, if you're trying to lock down employees, if you're trying to generate revenue on a consistent daily, weekly, and monthly, and annual basis, there has to be a budget tied to that. And that's where the SCORE organization, which is part of SBA, can assist young, old, or people who are trying to follow their dreams with the budget planning part. Correct, Terry? Yes, we have SCORE that can help with that. Uh, the Small Business Development Centers, we partner here with the University of Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, have numerous locations around the state as does SCORE. We have a Women's Business Center that can provide assistance uh, for women entrepreneurs uh, particularly, but they assist uh, the male-owned businesses as well. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of different uh, resources and expertise that can sit down with you and kind of help you work through those types of questions and issues. And the counseling is free. Say that one more time, Terry. The counseling is right now. The counseling, you do not have to pay for the counseling, but in a way you have, because as a taxpayer, your tax dollars go to help underwrite school and the small business development centers, women's business centers, et cetera. So 
you're just recouping on the investment you've made as a taxpayer, really. And and here's I'm gonna just tell you something. It's never packed. It's, people are in there, but it's never like a line out the door. So you will not be discouraged by going in there. And then they're receptive to you. I'm just talking about my experience. I, you know, I, I have a relationship in, in Texas. I have a relationship in Georgia with the SBA. And I'm fans of trying to tell people how important it is. It was a young man uh, and his brother uh, were looking at opening up a uh, local restaurant, like, kind of like a Subway-type setup, you know, but it was original food. And I asked him, it was like three weeks ago, Terry. I said, uh, he, he kept asking me questions. I said, oh, you got to put together a budget. I got that, sir. He said, I said, well, you need to get a, a design layout because you really can't get a layout of what it works. And I said, have you been to the SBA? He went, what you talking about? I said, wow. Okay, cool. Here we go. Here we go. Now, you got to go there because it's free. And you got to start talking. To, and they have mentors. They're like mentors. I'm just telling everybody. The SBA is like mentoring. They're mentoring young businesses to be successful because... The goal is the current administration has a new goal to increase small disadvantaged business contracting goals from 5% to 15%, okay? This is an initiative to empower underserved communities. Now, you might say, I'm not underserved. Well, if you don't know any information about how to run your business, you are underserved. And you need to gain information, and that's what the SBA is about. Talk about what I just said about increasing the goal of disadvantaged business contracting goals from 5% to 15%. Because what I'm just trying to tell everybody, Terry, is that you are on a mission. You've always been on a mission. And your mission and your organization is to really tell minorities and invite them into this diverse pool of entrepreneurial opportunities, correct? Yes, that is correct. And um, in terms of the small disadvantaged business goal, you know, the federal government buys a lot of uh, products and services. And yes, any they do. given year, uh, we spend government-wide $500 billion, $600 billion mm-hmm. in goods and services throughout the federal various federal agencies. So there's a lot of opportunity, things that you wouldn't necessarily think of the government purchasing. You know, at first thought, you realize they do. So it's always been a goal. How do we make sure that all segments of the small business community, as well as the small business community as a whole, right, benefit from uh, participating in the federal procurement system? Uh, and we do have programs and tools to help people who are looking to enter the federal contracting market Thank or you. to expand their presence and activity in that market. Uh, you know, it's really, it's really amazing when I talk to you, Terry. You know, some ways I, you know, uh, you know, you know me. I, I, I can get frustrated because I just want to give out information. I want people to win, and I'm talking to. If you don't know who I'm talking to, it's Terry Dennison. She's the Georgia District Director of the U.S. Small Business Administration. You know it as, you know it as the SBA. She's been in this role since May 2002. When I came into this market in 2018 with Money Making Conversation, she's one of the very first guests that I brought on the air. And when I and and it really and I reason that's what Money Making Conversation is about is about letting you see and talking to I call industry decision makers. That's what she is. You know, she's not a celebrity. She's not an entrepreneur. She's an industry decision maker. In other words, she can give you information that can change your life. And when I say change your life, we're talking about so many people who are trying to open up businesses and trying to run a business and have no knowledge of that opportunity. And so tell us the primary role of the SBA. And I'm going to ask a couple of more questions before I let you get you out of here. 
Okay. Oh, what is our role? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, we're a federal government agency. A mm-hmm. lot of people don't realize that. They think we're a nonprofit yes. organization, but we are part of the federal government. Mm-hmm. And we've been around since 1953, and our mission has always been to support the U.S. economy through supporting small business in terms right. of small business creation mm-hmm. and uh, uh, growth. Yes, uh, we do that in a variety of ways. We have uh, our loan programs, mainly our loan guarantee programs, where we guarantee loans made by commercial lenders. Uh, we also have a micro loan program for those uh, in uh, businesses that maybe they're home based or as a solopreneur, they don't need a lot of capital. They don't need millions of dollars, but they need what they need when they need it. So right. <laughs> they provide loans mm-hmm. up to. Uh, $50,000. And those are done by nonprofit uh, community development financial institutions. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they may have a, you know, they have a little more leeway in terms of how they look at credit compared to a commercial lender for right. profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about the counseling and education resources that That's we right. have for people who got an idea mm-hmm. and don't know what the next step should be to someone who's been in business. They've gone through the startup stage now maybe they have new challenges, new opportunities yes. because of their growth. And now they need to prepare and situate that business to be able to enter the new stage of that business life cycle. And then the government contracting piece, uh, which we alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. to help small businesses that want to enter that market. Yeah, from 5% to up to 15%. Now, before I, uh, one area I want to, there's a lot of things that were created during COVID-19 pandemic. The SBA delivered various relief programs. I want to ask you if these programs, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, if you're unaware of them, uh, please let me know. But I want to know if they're still in existence. If they are still in existence, what purpose do they serve? I'm going to start off with the Paycheck Protection Program, a program that I used uh, in the month of May. Uh, to help pay my staff when the country was shut down. So talk about the payroll protection program. Is that still available? And and how is it serving a purpose now that the country is opening back up? Well, actually, the the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, uh, sunset on, um, it sunsetted on uh, May 31st. Okay. 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 So uh, SBA no longer took applications from participating lenders and we've actually cleaned out the backlog of applications, and it's totally shut down as of uh, June 30. Okay, cool, great. What about the Restaurant Revitalization Fund program? Is that still available? Actually, that is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a case of a lot of demand mm-hmm. versus what was allocated for the program. Mm-hmm. $28.6 mi- uh, excuse me, billion was allocated for the program. Mm-hmm. We received applications nationwide totaling around $70 billion. Mm-hmm. So that money went pretty quickly. So currently the program is closed. And I know there's been some discussion of maybe mm-hmm. uh, Congress providing more funds, and we'll just have to wait and see about that. But it is closed as of now. So I'm basically letting everybody know that the country is coming back to normal. The support system that you may have experienced or may have been a part of previously during the the COVID of 2020, I want to say 2020, has changed. But you do have programs, new online programs and learning coaching platforms like Ascent for women business owners. Is that new or is that something that has been around that I'm just made aware of through this interview? 
No, it's relatively new. It launched uh, back in January of this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, It had been several years in the making, but Mm -hmm. it was really created to help women-owned businesses who have gone through the startup phase. Mm -hmm. And now they're in a position or are considering scaling. Mm-hmm. That's been one of the biggest challenges, uh, I think, of women-owned businesses and probably other underserved communities as well. You know, we may be able to get the business started, but it remains basically a self-employment. Awesome. I want to wrap it up. Uh, cool. So this is about how you get to that next stage, right. especially if you have the market and the product or service that is scalable. Right. And I want to just close out by talk, bringing up the Community Navigators program again, which I'm very excited about. You said just go to, if it's available on uh, grants.gov, right? If you go there. That is correct. And this is an, this is an RFP type of response to this, if you want to be a part of being considered for this in the state of Georgia only, Correct. Well, actually, it's nationwide. Okay. Okay, cool. It's nationwide. So they're looking to give awards out across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would say is, once again, it's for organizations, so nonprofit entities, government entities that uh, are, you know, provide technical assistance mm-hmm. to small businesses. Right. So it's not to finance small businesses themselves. Okay, cool. And I want to clear. So the community navigator has to be a nonprofit. That is correct. Okay, cool. Great. Want to make sure that everybody understood that. Again, Terry Dennison, thank you for coming on my show. You've been fantastic as usual. Like I said, when I go live with on WCLK in the fall, I want to bring you back and we celebrate and take some phone calls that'll be properly screened, of course, to talk <laughs> about how we can move forward and continue to grow entrepreneurs, especially in disadvantaged neighborhoods, especially in minority communities, because my goal, my passion is to let everybody know that SBA is there for you. As she clearly stated, it. It's your money. Your money is being spent. That's why this, that's why score is there. That's why all these organizations are there. So why not use resources that you've already paid for? Thank you again, Terry Dennison, for coming on Money Making Conversations. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you again. Okay, thank Listen. you very much. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Molly Music is a Grammy Award winning musician, songwriter, and producer. He is an artist first and foremost, but he will not be put in a box. He loves the freedom of creating amazing music, no matter whether it's gospel, R&B, hip-hop, or rock. You open up the doors to be heard out by a different race, and then it gets uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Just because you start bringing out different issues. Mm-hmm. I recently traveled to Nashville to do some songwriting with Chad, lead singer, Christian rock band, Unspoken. Mm-hmm. And it was a challenge for me, mm-hmm. especially coming from soul background, gospel background. Mm-hmm. But I had to remember I have songs that have rock uh, feels for it. So, man, the spreading and the falling of the genres is definitely good. I've been watching it happen in hip hop and other genres for a long time. And I'm glad that it's finally made it to gospel. If you want to hear the full interview with Molly Music, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Philip Ashley Rex. Philip Ashley Chocolates is one of the world's preeminent, see, they put that word right there, preeminent chefs and designers of luxury chocolate. He is an award winning chocolate chocolate tour. Is that, is that correct, Philip? Chocolate tour? Okay. Yeah, you there got you it. go. Uh, founding in Memphis, Tennessee. That's right up. I mean, Atlanta. So that's just a little bit up north. You know, we all know about the barbecue. We know about that hot chicken in Memphis. Now you're about to find out about Philip Ashley Chocolates. In 2012, that's when it all started. The brand has an international following and is retained by high-profile clients, top corporations, and major events to offer premium gifts. And, and we all know about the COVID-19 pandemic, how it shut down this country. Well, in February 2020, prior to the COVID, COVID shutting down the company. He had a lot of major events on it. He was on the Food Network's uh, Chop Sweets. He was a finalist. And then in November of that same year, Oprah's favorite things list to buy, to put, to put in your gifts for Christmas, for whatever you wanted to do. Philip is also known for his branding and marketing expertise. Now check this out. In 2021, he founded Uncommon Hospitality Group, a real estate development company focused on driving imagination, innovation, and impact in the mixed-use commercial real estate space. Please welcome to the show an innovator. Uh, I won't call, I won't call him an instigator because he got chocolate, you know. But he looks like my little twin brother. But please welcome to the show, Philip Actually Rex. How you doing, Philip? How you doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, you know, like a good-looking guy. So I got I got to throw that out right now. You know, got the beard, got the glasses. You're shining. So, so, but gotta but, keep it clean every got, every week. Every I mean, week. I'm telling you, Phil, and people don't understand. You know, women, women always say, like, it's hard looking like us. It's hard right. to keep this like, up, right? You gotta keep. You gotta maintain this. This is a weekly process. I go to the barber, get a straight razor every Saturday morning. So, you know, I tell you, that's why I just want to let everybody know because I got an identical looking guy on the phone. On video, <laughs> on my on my talk show today, that looks like me. I put in the work every day to just yeah. get up. I wish I could just walk out of that door, Philip. But people gonna right. look like I'm broke. They gonna look like I'm sick. They gonna ask me what's wrong. <laughs> All those things. So you are a brand, correct, Philip? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And and like you said, they think that you know everything takes you know. Uh, curation, management, you know. So, like I said, it, we I, I don't have hair, you don't have, but that there's a process to this. So <laughs> it's not easy. No, you know, because you you come out there with a little scattered hair. People act like you. What's wrong, man? What do you, do you have time? You have time. So because that's, that's, I really, that's, that's we right. not started out like that, talking about image, talking about mm-hmm. brands, talking about because that's part of what you are pursued about marketing and branding. 
And That's a lot cool. of people throw those words out because you hear what's my because you hear branding a lot, and, and yeah. some people just saying it don't even know what that means. And then because sometimes they they put the word branding and marketing together thinking it's all one word and that's not true. You know, a yeah. uh, brand you develop marketing is what you do to, to put, get the word out about your brain. So talking about uh, being one of the sought off, most sought off people in that area. And how did that really start launching your own brain? How did that manifest itself into your brain, yeah. Philip? Yeah. So really it started, Rashawn, in uh, 2007, mm-hmm. I, I was um, living in Baltimore at the time, mm-hmm. living in Baltimore, working in corporate America, uh, three o'clock in the morning, woke up from the dr- uh, dream and was like, OK, I'm going to be a chocolatier for the rest of my life and make chocolate for a living. Mm-hmm. And and that's literally how it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, it, it just became an obsession. You know, I was already in the consumer packaged goods industry. Uh, moving product, working with uh, companies and individuals. Uh, and and I'd been cooking for a long time. I, was, I started learning how to cook for my grandmother at five. And right. so I was always a really good cook. But, you know, so a lot of things kind of fell into place, ended up, you know, pursuing chocolate. And so I spent the better part of five years, the first three in particular, teaching myself about chocolate, learning everything about food. You know, how do you taste, uh, you know, the zones of the palate, studying herbs, spices, uh, proteins, you name it. And then, you know, my main goal was to recreate that stick of gum from Willy Wonka. I was always fascinated with that story um, and particularly that concept where he had the roast beef the blueberry pie uh, <laughs> and the potatoes in one thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to do that in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And so subsequently, that's what we've become known for in putting blue cheese in chocolate. One of our, our most popular flavor one, we've won a good food awards, which is kind of like a Grammys for food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that sort of thing is our French blue cheese chocolate called Savoy. Uh, and you know, we've won awards for a number of chocolates, barbecue chocolates, sweet potato mm-hmm, chocolates, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. chocolates that really tell stories. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what does your show taste like? And, and so we create something that has your personality, your DNA, your favorite foods, your favorite colors. And we kind of create and craft and extract, um, the flavor and, and turn it into a, a bonbon. Well, you know, we, we always, um, you know, sweets grabs anybody's attention, you know, their, their yeah. palate, as they say. And uh, chocolate is also, you know, that that version. My wife loves chocolate. She, but she's, but there's a different chocolate. You don't have to, and because you're gonna educate me here a little bit, Philip. Okay, because you yeah. have a uh, your premium chocolate. Like my my favorite yeah. premium chocolate candy is Turtles. Okay, I love those. Now, by the way, I went to your website now, yeah. and you're out of turtles. So I was mad at you, Philip, because I love back then, that we just turned it back on the day. So just you're, you're a you little know. while ago. So because because what, what I try to do, Philip, when I, when I interview somebody like you, have food, I always like to test your product and test yeah. the whole system. How does it work? So I go online and order, and I say, oh, okay, it came. I got notifications, and because that lets me know where they stand as far as trying to get the product to the customer because we're coming on my show, Money Making Conversation, I get a sense of who you are. And so I went on there and I said, so turtle, oh, man, out of turtles. Because that's my favorite, man. So so 
Well, you, well, you we, have some on the way. Okay, actually, cool. So we yes. will be very. I will be very happy, and I'll be posting it on my social media too. Me eating yeah. the your, your Philip Ashley chocolate turtles because yeah. tell us why. What is the difference between me just grabbing some off the shelf? And I'm just no, not just being derogatory. Like oh. a Snickers bar has chocolate around it, or, or anything like that, versus your premium chocolates that you serve. Yeah, that- no, that's a great question. We what we really focus on, like I said, is that storytelling element. And so it's not just chocolate or a box of candy. It really is an experience. You know, where else are you going to find uh, a chocolate that has uh, sweet potato in it? Or in particular, we have chocolates that are a collard green and cornbread chocolate right, that right, actually right. tastes good and tastes like the things that we say are in it. Yes, and sir. so, you know, truly handcrafted, like we are in here. In Memphis, I'm in my chocolate factory, the 2.0 version <laughs> of it, uh, and we make everything by hand. I'm sourcing the best ingredients. We're constantly scouring the earth for the best cocoa beans out of Ghana, out of Cote d'Ivoire. You know, where can we get the the best strawberries from? Whose farm do we need to go to? Um, you know, it's just always in this constant, perpetual state of daydreaming, new flavors new ideas and and then how do we bring those to fruition uh in the chocolate and and so that's what you're getting different from your standard variety chocolate on the shelf right. you know we we have chocolates something else that's on its way to you we do a, a collection for uncle nearest uh which is a premium whiskey wow uh, they they're amazing whiskey makers their distillery is here in tennessee not too far from us just outside of Nashville. And so we have an entire collection that captures the whiskeys they have, but not just that. We didn't just throw whiskey in the chocolate. We said, okay, what's the story of Uncle Nearest? What's the story of Lincoln County and the process Mm -hmm. that differentiates Tennessee whiskey from bourbon? How do we convey that through a bonbon? And so that's really what you're getting. Now, when when we we talk about you you based in Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. Yes. Like I said earlier, barbecue, chicken, you know, uh, the little ducks, you know, <laughs> oh, music. And then you, the chocolatier. Now, yes. you say you, you was in Boston, you know, 2007, you was in Boston. Baltimore, Baltimore, yes. Uh, Baltimore, excuse me. Now you're yes. down in um, Memphis. What mm-hmm. made, what inspired you to go in this direction other than the fact it was a passion, it was carried off from a childhood dream, Willy Wonka, because a lot of people will doubt you. A lot of people will tell you, man, you know, well, you need to be making a soul food restaurant or something that people are going to buy a lot of because people yeah. don't conceptualize this business. Like I always tell people, people understand a nine to five. When yeah. I left my job to tell people I wanted to be a stand-up comic, they went, how are you going to make money? Well, quite frankly, I couldn't really tell you either, but I mm-hmm. knew this is what I wanted to do for my life, my dream. Right. And right. so right. when you made the decision to do what you had to do, there was a lot of doubts. Talk about walking through that process. And then when it started clicking for you professionally. Yeah. And I believe you can attest to this. I think when when you really are driven by, you know, purpose, passion and a, and a real desire, like you said, with comedy, you know, and, and you've obviously learned this, that, you know, that's going to make way for you and make room for you. And Uh particularly when you're, you know, you're, you're like, I was just driven. Like I couldn't do anything else if I wasn't doing this essentially. Mm -hmm. And, and I can do a lot of other things, 
just by the means of survival, so to speak. But, you know, to truly live and it didn't matter about struggling or not struggling, you know, it was like, okay, this is something that I have to do. Uh, and, and so through again, you know, and I've always just been different. And I learned real early, I think like my sophomore year in college, I was working a, a part-time job at a call center. And I knew then that entrepreneurship was the way I was going. Right. And again, I, and, and I'm, I never, I, I'm always in, for and understand the need for a nine to five. Heck, we have people that work for us. You know, and and that's we love our employees. We work well and hard for them to make sure that they make a living wage and all of that. But I knew for me personally, I wanted to be the employer and then I wanted to create something through the talent and and the imagination and the gifts um, that I've been fortunate to be blessed with. And, And chocolate, again, was that medium. Right. And like I said, you know, they're writers, they're directors. There's actors, there's all sorts of t- storytellers. And I've always been fascinated by mm-hmm. the storytelling world, playwrights, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just growing up, you know, I've written plays in school and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, you know, but I wanted to marry three things, you know, my passion for storytelling, my love of food and, and my deep interest uh, in the consumer packaged goods industry. And I understood very early on that creating a product and being able to move product across a supply chain and then creating a sustainable one is is where it's at. Uh, And so I wanted to bring those three things together. Now, in bringing those things together, two things that happened to you in 2020, and I'm just going to break it apart. One was the Parents on Food Network, the, the competition, and yeah. then Oprah's favorite things list. Mm-hmm. Now, me, if I was your manager, sir, and I go, mm-hmm. okay, you you have a popular brand out there. Why would you go on a competition show where if you don't win, you know, you consider it a loser? Okay, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Oh, you made the finalists. Food Network. Hey, we I watch the Food Network all the time. I know who you are. Right. Okay, because right. I saw you on Food Network. Okay, okay. And Chop Sweet's yeah. one of my favorite shows. So when you start, that's the part of the brand we we're talking about. You have marketing, you have branding. Okay, so when you made that decision, what was the idea and the concept? Because it wasn't about money. So right. what was right. it about? Well, just a general uh, spirit of competition. You know, I wanted to go on uh, what what I feel like is a big stage yes, uh, for food and for, for chefs mm-hmm. and compete. You know, I played sports and it's <laughs> rare nowadays that we actually have a chance to, uh, at least for me, to, to uh, compete against others in, in, in a true arena, so to speak. And so I thought that was fun. Then, of course, it's Food Network. I mean... Love Food Network, grew up watching it. Yes, sir. Um, always been around it, you know, particularly at, you know, at its height. Uh, and so Chop was a, a has definitely been a favorite of mine. And so when they came out with the sweet version, I was like, yeah, of course I want to do it. Right. You know, I do the regular one. So right. the, uh, the, the original. So um that was that was really the the thought process behind that. Um, you know, losing uh or not finishing was never entered my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I even think, you know, and, and, and my friend Amber Kroon, who, who I know. Uh, I know Amber. Uh, mm-hmm. Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, she did a fantastic job. You know, of course, the competition uh, or the competitor in me 
is like, yeah, I should have won. Yes, but sir. at the same time, she did a great job as well. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know. Yeah, she's very talented, Amber. I know her very well. Yeah, uh, okay. And so, so, so that. But what did it do as far as your popularity? Did it bring visual recognition? Did it bring did it bring uh, sales to your brand? News articles, of course, especially in the market of Memphis. Talk about yeah. that part of the the the, the blessing. Yeah, it, it was definitely one of the those things. You know, continuing to seek national uh, uh, acclaim, visibility, which leads to growth, and that was the real. Uh, motivation behind it. This is a, a, a large stage where I get to showcase not only my talent, but talk about my brand, my business, uh, and my product uh, in an in on in a um, medium or on a medium that put us in front of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, yes, uh, millions of people, uh, v- viewers around the country and even the world. And so, you know, we f- we ship internationally, mm-hmm. and so. You know, I've always been thinking beyond the four walls of Memphis, you know, and, and that's really the, the the main thing. And like I said, my goal was to, uh, you know, win, of course, but if not win, have a good showing. And I felt like that would that accomplish. You know, people would know who we were and mm-hmm. what we do here. Absolutely. And you, you've accomplished that like, because you, you came on my radar. You came on my radar. And so so now we're talking to Philip. Uh, you know, he's the founder and CEO of Philip Ashley Chocolates. Now, let's fast forward to November now. Yeah. You know, Oprah's favorite things. That's a definitely different conversation now. You know, the, the beauty of life, man, it, Oprah, there's two black people in America that you always won't be associated with. Tyler mm-hmm. Perry, if Tyler Perry call you, that means you got an acting job. If Oprah call right. you, that means she likes something you're doing, okay? Right. In this right. case, Oprah, Oprah people call you, contact you, say, hey, man, you're chocolates. What yeah. was your reaction to that, man? And what did you do to capitalize on that opportunity she gave you to be on that list? Yeah, well, first of all, I was just grateful. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm all about, you know, setting goals, creating a vision, working to manifest it. And, you know, and a lot of it is, you know, timing, opportunity, um, favor, luck, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, I said eight years ago when I found it becoming, man, we should be one of Oprah's favorite things. Clearly yes, we weren't ready then. Mm-hmm. Even when we got the call, uh, which would have been this time last year when we got the original call saying, hey, we're looking at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we, months later, when we got the final, hey, you know, you're one of them and we want the perfect turtle uh, to be <laughs> Um, that product. And and we make a really good turtle. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, And so it was a huge thing. Of course, it's Oprah, you know, the amount of attention. Um, Of course, we had to also contend with the pandemic. So uh, in a year where one of the biggest things that could happen to us, the world is essentially um, on hold. And, you know, all the things that all the challenges that came with that, uh, I'll, I'll tell you was, you know, but ultimately that was, it was a great opportunity, huge momentum generated behind, behind that, uh, which put us again on an even bigger, mm-hmm. more national and international mm-hmm. stage than Food Network mm-hmm. uh, did. And then that led to other opportunities and other visibility, um, you know, and we also, I'll tell you, we had some some mighty challenges mm-hmm. uh, navigating uh, that world, because as you know, growing, growing really, really quickly is difficult. 
Yes, it um, is. It's even harder when, you know, again, not to make excuses, but the pandemic created challenges mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, we, I had to figure creative ways around. Right. And so um, dealing with backlog, dealing with, uh, you know, only being able to have so many people uh, in, in an area for so long, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, uh, you know, so it was tough. But I'll tell you what, it, it definitely taught me a lot, not only about myself, but how I see the business, how I operate. And we've been making some incredible enhancements to our operation to increase production, to um, communicate with our customers more efficiently and effectively. Mm-hmm. And really, again, just make the experience from start to finish that much more favorable uh, and, and more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I'm super grateful that she found us, even with the challenges that came our way and the things that we had to navigate. You know, I think you learn the most out of things like that. You know, right. if it were just, oh, you know, over caught us up, you know, we sold and we did well in sales. Mm-hmm. But also, if there was no challenge behind it or nothing that really pushed me, mm-hmm. I mean, you may we may not be talking, and it would just be like another thing. Yes, you know sir. what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know the thing about it. I, I think from a standpoint of, I, we all know how uh, uh, minority business, or business of color, and African American were impacted by COVID. But the blessing yeah. of it is that I think as restaurant owners and entrepreneurs, we learned. We learned. Mm-hmm. We learned that we were kind of like cheating ourselves on how we should be doing our business model. Right. And COVID and all the pandemic said, okay, there's a model to win with long-term and you need to have a plan B. Mm-hmm. And the plan B should move you forward. And the plan B is not an, a, a plan that's to say you're trying to shortchange yourself. It's to let you know that the perfect world does not exist. And you should have options of how you sell your product. And when he was saying, what Philip was saying about it is that you could be selling business, but that doesn't mean a, when you're selling stuff, that means that your, your dollar comes back to you as fast as you sell it. So that means when somebody like an Oprah or a massive business come in and say, hey, we want a lot of your product, okay, there's a payment period that you got to also also be able to deliver to the people and say, hey, I got to buy the product, I got to make the product, and I got to ship the product. So you got to have, have revenue or, or income sitting there or some type of investor to come in and be able to help you move that product to the level so you can deliver on time and be and be recommended as a company of choice and also be recommended as a company that can deliver what they say. That's what people have to understand when they're talking about these products. And that's what's just one of the great skills that you develop and that you talk about. And people come to you, right, Philip, in regards to these levels of conversation. Talk about that. Yeah, um, you know, just talked to Shelby County government. Uh, Mayor Lee Harris had me talk to his folks about that very thing and really, you know, focusing, um, you know, and, and and that's what we've had to do, focus. And, and me personally, right. as the business owner, there's so many things. And, you know, people are always kind of coming at you with this or that, you know, really focusing on ensuring the long term success of the business. Uh, and and part of that is is really being agile right. and, and and how to pivot, you know, and and create opportunities out of even you know duress in a sense, you know. Well, what are the difficult things that have come via uh, this opportunity? What mistakes did we make, uh, and how can we improve on them, enhance, and then prevent those same things from occurring the next time? And so um, that's again just 
just understanding how to develop the business to scale it, you know, because, you know, I'm trying to 5X, 10X this mm-hmm. thing and beyond. Mm-hmm. And, and so how do we improve our standard operating procedures? How do we um, bring in employees, train them more effectively? Uh, how do we refine our product? Uh, you know, how do we communicate and market and even be on stages such as this and on your show? Then let people know that, hey, you know, we are a small business that's growing. We are a Black-owned business. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we do an amazing job at what we do. Yes, sir. So. Let, let's talk about it because you kind of walked about, which I, which I want to lean into my next question, is about putting young Black men and women in this in the craft trade environment. Yes, talk sir. about that, and then I want to close with you talking about your Uncommon Hospitality Group. Yeah, so um, it's real important, and I mentioned you know earlier about just securing uh, a sustainable supply chain. And for me, that's both in sourcing um, raw materials, so from our our cocoa right. um, beans and things of involvement in Africa and beyond, uh, but also with our employees, with our with with the labor, uh, and particularly being in Memphis, Memphis like a lot of other cities. Um, we have a, we're 70% African-American, mm-hmm. you know, 70% of Memphis is black. And so with that, you know, my focus from an employment standpoint uh, has really turned the focus on young men and women, African-American and of color uh, between the ages of 18 and 21 specifically, because these are folks that, you know, they're, if they're not going to college, um, and, and these, I just hired another young man yesterday. He started today, uh-huh. 18, just graduated, wasn't going to college, but of course, high schools aren't really focusing on trades anymore either. Uh-huh. Uh, so bringing them in, showing them a craft trade, uh, and then saying, look, you know, we're going to pay you $15 an hour, uh-huh. uh, for the first year. But by the end of the first year, you will be upwards to $20 an hour. Wow. So it, at 19, barely 20, you're going to be making 40 plus thousand dollars in a city where the median income or the property line is like 35. Right. So mm-hmm. we, we got you above that at a young age. But I'm also working with uh, folks like my friend uh, up in uh, Pittsburgh, Maya Eric, um, that will help with financial planning and mm-hmm. doing all those kind of things mm-hmm. uh, that will work with these young folks to not only make money, but when they're 25, 35, and 45, they understand the value of the dollar that they've earned and they can go off and do investing and do other things. And so that's the bigger picture, not to just employ them today and pay them 15 bucks or 20 bucks, but really set them on a course of success. And and, and honestly, looking at some of the things that I had to navigate between 18 and 42. Uh, and if I can knock out a few of those roadblocks, yes. you know, then, you know, hopefully it's, it's a good thing. And uh, the Uncommon Hospitality Group. Yes. Uncommon Hospitality Group is something that, you know, is, is really a part of me in my next kind of phase of, yes, of, of bringing a real chocolate factory to life. But uh, again, I'm all about the experience. You know, so I curate things like a, a, a grand masquerade ball in the uh, in November. Mm-hmm. You know, we do all these really cool tastings, virtual tastings, mm-hmm. live tastings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, again, the chocolate is a big experiential element. And mm-hmm. so taking that feel and that brand 
to commercial real estate where mixed use, um, you know, so then bringing in black owned businesses, wine companies, uh, restaurants, uh, you know, commercial businesses and even uh, residential. And so that's what it's all about. Starting here in the heart of Memphis, uh, working to source several properties to put together a, a, just a really cool experience for people to come, not only experience Philip Ashley chocolates, but that's that's the anchor or core, but then just kind of see a community uh, that that is business oriented uh, and focused on consumer goods and focused on consumer experience uh, and, 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 and living in a downtown community uh, and just kind of showing people that there are other folks that can develop you know, really cool things uh, in a city as well. So. I tell you, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, he's based in Memphis. Uh, you can buy his uh, products online, international, domestic. But more importantly, when you go to Memphis nowadays, you, you go up there for the blues, go up there for the hot chicken, go up there for the barbecue. Now you go up there for the turtles, the, yeah. the perfect turtles down there, the Philip Ashley chocolate. Hey, Philip, yeah. man, thank you for coming. Philip, thank you for coming on my show, man, Money Making Conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has and, been, a, and, been a pleasure. So and you know, it's always it. nice looking at my twin brother, too. <laughs> yes, yes, I love Mary you, man. Was I love Good it. Thank you. I love it, brother. Well, I'm going to get up to Memphis, man, and you said in the fall you do some things. I want to come up there and be part part of it. Just yeah, hang we'll out send with you the calendar. We'd love to have you out. And also, uh, when you do a next virtual testing, send it to me so I can post it on my social media and put my newsletter, okay? Sir, will do. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, Philip, for coming on Money Making Conversation. If you want to hear or see any of my interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. I sat down with the legendary actor Bill Duke. He is the founder of Duke Media Foundation and Unite Network. He was on the show to discuss his starring role in Steven Soderbergh's new crime drama, No Sudden Moves, available on HBO Max. If you were black, you had to be able to play chess in the chess game. So mm -hmm. if they had negotiators with them, you have to negotiate. Mm -hmm. If the negotiations didn't go well and they had guns, you had to have guns. Yes. So, you know, you, you could not negotiate with someone who felt you were weak and unprepared. The only way you could negotiate with them is to look them in the eye and they understood the consequences of disrespecting. So I play the head of the black gang and um, we negotiate over some issues. If you want to hear the full interview with Bill Duke, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Or support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide. Give with all your heart this season with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Aww. 
Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.